you turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Last week we began considering the book of Proverbs and really the beginning of biblical wisdom is where Solomon starts. And it seems he has this concern for his audience, those who hear him speak while he lives and those of us who read him now, that we would try to live in God's world without looking to God for the skill that we need to do so. So that we would kind of live this uh, really godless life and not really fulfill the purpose God uh, put us on earth for, which was to know him and to serve him. Solomon wants to give us skill. And we considered how God's word is the way that he equips us for life and godliness. He gives us in the Bible, including in a book like Proverbs, the wisdom books and Proverbs itself, especially, what we need to live successful lives in his eyes, in his world. And uh, my purpose last week was to begin to show the usefulness of Proverbs just for practical, wise management in life, but also for Christian living. And I hope this will be a, a, benef a benefit to all of us. We uh, took some time to consider last week the difference. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, you can see the difference between uh, these longer forms of Proverbs where he's treating a topic at a time in a series of verses in chapters 1 through 9. And then starting in chapter 10, these really short, pithy sayings, like some of the ones that we would have in our own, uh, our own culture that we gave attention to last time. But in laying a lot of that background, we really only got into uh, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. How is he teaching? What's the origin of the book? Well, it's he's teaching by Proverbs, these short, uh, portable sayings, poetic sayings, he's expressing general observations in a, according to a certain cultural worldview. That's how he plans to teach. And he himself is, God called him, there would be no man wiser than he was. Uh, there would be no one like him who came after him. And he was wise in his own day, wise among wise men. There was a, a wisdom movement, kind of this culture of wisdom in the East at that time. But then uh, we began to look, starting into verse 2, what is his purpose? What's the purpose of this book? And I want you to notice how he says this in verse 2, and he unfolds it in verses 3 through 6. And then really his thesis for the whole book comes to us in verse 7. It's kind of the argument of everything that comes in Proverbs is captured in verse 7. So as we read, uh, see if you can catch his purpose. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding to receive instruction and wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the origin of the book is Solomon writing Proverbs. This is really just, this book is just about one-fifth of uh, the Proverbs that he is said to have recorded, some 3,000 Proverbs and 1,000 songs. But his purpose here in writing, and I hope our purpose as we consider, uh, at least for starters, the first nine chapters of the book, his purpose is to help you live skillfully in God's world. What is required to live skillfully in God's world? Well, he says in the beginning part of verse 2, he wants to teach you character. This is transformation that he wants to see in your life to know wisdom and instruction. And I'm connecting that to verses 3 and 4 to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. He's talking about how he wants to form these people in these ways. He wants to teach character. And when he says in verse 2, wisdom, we drew attention last week to the fact that when the Bible is talking about wisdom, really the way that word is used, it's talking about skill, like the skill someone who manages a whole IT system would have, or someone who builds houses would have, or someone who runs a home would have. There are certain skills in those domains. There is wisdom. The Bible talks about God imbuing certain workers in the tabernacle and the temple with wisdom and skill to produce great works of art in God's house. Solomon wants you to know wisdom and instruction. That's not just the end product, but actually the process of being trained. But to whom does he intend to teach this? And what does he intend to teach? That's what he gets to in verse 3. Instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. You see how that's from the perspective of the student and the learner. And then verse 4 is from the perspective of the teacher. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge, and discretion. So he intends to teach, verse 3, wise behavior, righteousness, justice, equity. What are these? Wise behavior. You could say this is the ability to rule yourself on purpose, based on principles, as opposed to, say, your feelings or just your whims. Righteousness. Someone is really kind of drawn this into the realm of relationships, taking God's standards into relationships. Are you going to treat people righteously according to justice? Justice, he wants to teach you justice, conforming to God's standards yourself. Of course, there's lots of overlap here, but I think you could rightly, if you're going to make a distinction, talk about how you treat other people and how you yourself act before God. And then equity. Someone has described this as fairness or even just a pleasant quality to your life. There's nothing that's really discordant with what it should be. All of this means that you need good character to live successfully in God's world. You need good character. You ever heard it builds character? Usually that comes after you have to eat something that you don't want to eat or do something that you don't want to do, right? Why is it good for you to build character? You don't, you don't just trip into character, right? You have to build it. It's something that has to be acquired and cultivated over time. It's interesting in our country that the founding fathers 
recognize that without good character, our experiment in self-government would fail. You've heard quotes to this effect. There's a good deal of wisdom in words like, virtue is a condition of freedom. We think that we can throw off all restrictions and still have freedom, but that's not freedom. You have to actually build character. Solomon intends to teach good character. How can you learn this kind of character? It's only as you grasp the instruction that you're given. To know wisdom and instruction is what he says. But as he's teaching wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, what does he say? What's that first, the second word in verse three? To receive. You have to take the instruction. You have to grasp it. You have to not reject it or just kind of hold it at arm's length and be skeptical about it like you know better. And this word instruction, to receive instruction, is that same word as uh, back in verse 2. It's the process, the formation process, the training, the disciplining process. So if you're going to have good character, you have to receive instruction. Do you receive instruction? Do you take wisdom? Do you grasp onto it like you need it, like your life depends on it? Solomon says in chapter 9, verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. This is listening or heeding, receiving training. That is wisdom to be teachable. I remember at various times, I, I had a soccer coach who told my parents this. I know uh, my younger brother had a, a music teacher who told my parents this. Don't tell him that he's good because then uh, he's not going to receive instruction. Any good thing that a teacher saw in a student, he didn't want to really puff his student up about it. He wanted him to be humble so that he would be teachable. Isn't this really what we're like, especially when we're teenagers? We tend to be not teachable. This isn't a slam on the teenagers in the room. I, I really speak from experience. Uh, we, we, we think we know better. And especially if we see some strength in ourselves, we really lean onto this. The, the Bible really draws attention to that. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. If you think you have some real strong piece of your character, don't rely on yourself. That is foolishness. That's pride. It puts you beyond instruction. I could put it another way. Do you listen to biblical counsel? When someone gives you counsel squarely based on the word of God, do you listen to it? Or do you, you say, well, that's just your opinion. Really, when you, when you weigh it in the scales, you're putting your word against God's word. You're not being teachable if that's what you do. Are you willing to admit that you have blind spots in your life or that you might be wrong about some sincerely held conviction about how you should act? This is the way I was raised. I can't, I can't betray who I am. You ever said this kind of thing? Well, maybe the way that you are, who you are, who you were raised to be, really is in conflict with the Bible, and you need to submit yourself to the wisdom of the Bible. Really what Solomon is calling his readers to is to be as little children. There's something about the simplicity of faith of little children just to receive 
And there's something about it as we get older where we it gets harder and harder to receive. We have phrases for this, don't we? Not all of them flattering. Also, I think you could ask, what's your character like? If Solomon is te teaching righteousness, justice, equity, wise behavior. Of course, you can see this in the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived this to the full. He fulfilled this. Solomon, what he has in mind is not comparing himself to other people or you comparing yourself to other people. This is what we like to do. But do you, do you measure your character according to God's standards? Not that you can earn his favor, but this is, this is how we want to live to please the Lord. Not by saying, well, I'm better than this person, but no, Lord, help me be more like you. That's godly character that Solomon is describing. This is how God treats people. This is how Jesus lived. And we're not wise if we take other people as our benchmark. We're, we're never going to be, we're always going to be self-satisfied if we're only comparing ourselves with other people. But we'll be humble if we compare ourselves with Jesus Christ, which is where we should be, so that we can be teachable. So what is your character like? Do you consistently practice self-rule? Rule over your passions and your whims and your emotions and your desires and your habits? Do you live righteously in your relationship, your relationships? Is God a factor in how you interact with others and how you treat them? Do you treat people fairly? Or are you harsh with others? Do you keep God's commands? And who is this for? Verse 4. This is what he wants to teach. Verse 3. Wisdom, instruction, wise behavior, good character. To give, from the perspective of a teacher, this is what he's offering, prudence, or you could say shrewdness to the naive. It's a, it's a fair parallel to this word. Not that it makes him a, a prude, like we think of that word. Uh, but shrewdness. To the naive or the simple ones, and to give to the youth knowledge and discretion. It's really important when you come across this word naive, especially in the book of Proverbs. It's not just empty-headedness or total ignorance. When you study out the simple one in the book of Proverbs, there is an aspect to the, the naive person, the simple, who, that is willful and irresponsible. He flirts with sin. You'll see the naive, ignorant of things in the book of Proverbs, believing everything he hears. That's how we use the word. But you'll also see him kind of wandering aimlessly near sin. Doesn't have a lot of direction. It's almost like he wants to put himself near it. He's inexperienced, but he's also drifting towards temptation. It's not this neutral category of, I have this blank slate, I'm... I'm naive. No, it's actually, it has a drift towards sin. But the sense is that he has no seriousness of the sin in him and around him. Or he has no sense of the seriousness of the sin that's within him and around him. And he doesn't really care either. That's what this simple man of Proverbs is like. He has a serious sin problem, just like the rest of us, but he doesn't really know about it, and he doesn't really care to know about it. He'd rather just ignore it. 
He's happy to be mystified about sin. And that's a huge part of his problem. He would rather ignore reality of cause and effect. I have sin. I am going to get myself into further sin. This kind of person needs shrewdness. He needs an awareness that sin is not out for his good. He needs to be convinced that he's really under the power of the devil and that the devil is going to make full effect of the sin that's in him. He wants to try to sink the hooks of sin into him deeper and deeper and drag him all the way to hell. This is what the simpleton needs to realize. He needs battle awareness. That's the shrewdness that Solomon is offering to the naive. Just good sense, moral sense. But also to the youth, to the young, Solomon is offering education about life. He's offering, even you could say, a plan for the future. The word knowledge is information or understanding. And then discretion is has the sense of a plan or a scheme, almost like a blueprint. He's giving you a course of life. This is what he'll offer to the youth who's willing to listen. And we do need informed of how God's world works, not least of which is that he rewards obedience and he punishes foolish, foolishness. Aren't we naturally ignorant of this? We naturally think ourselves to be above cause and effect. I heard someone say he was a school administrator and he would tell kids in his school, you can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences. We don't like that. We want to choose both, right? By our nature, we want to drive over the speed limit and get away with it. We want to treat people how we want and then get treated right in return. We would rather that the scales be uneven in our favor. We want to work at spending money and we want to have money to spend without working for it. That's just naturally who we are, unless we're taught otherwise. We need taught. No, if you disobey, there will be sadness in your life. If you break the law, you will be punished. You see it being turned on its head in our country, and that's, that's foolishness. Because in God's world, there is cause and effect. God tells us that we have to follow the law to have no fear of the law. God tells us that in order to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. God tells us that you have to work in order to eat. This is how God's world works. Solomon intends to teach character to the morally inexperienced and irresponsible. But he has something for the wise and the aged, too. And I would connect here the second half of verse 2 with verses 5 and 6. So look at verse 2 again. To know wisdom and instruction, and then we got into verse 3. But he also, this is the purpose of his book, is to discern the sayings of understanding. And I would pair that with verse 5. A wise man, and he's just describing here, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. That's a mark of a wise man, is a willingness to learn and to be taught. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. What will that do for him? And this is where it really connects to the second half of verse 2. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So you see here how a willingness to be taught and to grow in wisdom by learning from other people really 
builds on itself to have the capacity then to go and understand more profound wisdom after that. This is kind of the, the stair step of wisdom. He doesn't just teach character. He's also teaching insight and mature reflection in this book. So discern, verse 2, that's understand, sayings of understanding. These are perceptive words about life. So you could say this, this book intends to teach you how to learn about God's world. It draws you into that which provokes thought. And he has all sorts of wise sayings. He has wise sayings about life, wise sayings about authority, wise sayings about conduct in all sorts of different settings. In some of those settings, you might say, I'm never going to be eating with a king. Why do I have to know that? Well, it's wisdom. Maybe more wisdom than you even need or than you think you need. Wisdom about kinds of people, wisdom about relationships, wisdom about sins. As you're willing to learn, you can understand these things and have greater wisdom. Think of it this way. If you catch a man a fish, what do we say? You feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. If you tell a boy to obey, maybe you bless him for a day. If you teach a boy to reason wisely, you can bless him for a lifetime. This is what Solomon is teaching. He's giving you skills for life. It's as you think in a wise way that you more and more bring your life into conformity with God. But again, how will we do this? And who can learn this kind of insight? There's verse 5, a wise man. Not just the young or inexperienced. This book isn't just for those who have no sense or who are drifting towards sin. This book is for everyone. Anyone, you could say as well, may come to Proverbs and learn if you're willing. But what do you have to do? A wise man will hear. This isn't just sound intake but listening with an intent to obey. I'm taking a Hebrew class right now, and the way I had to memorize the word for hear is that it's hear, obey. It's translated both ways. They're very closely linked. Like you might say, son, do you hear me? You're not asking if his ears work. You're asking if he's going to obey. Wise people are not slow of learning, but of hearing, but they're eager to be taught so they can implement what they've learned. So what that means for you and me is that we need to listen to what we're being taught. Are you a good listener to teaching? Aren't we? We're all born with this inclination when we're doing something that we want to do and someone starts telling us to do something different. We tune them out, right? We're slow to hear. Not because our ears don't work, but because our heart is set on our own way. We don't want to hear. This is even the language that the Bible uses. We talked about it this morning from the book of Jeremiah. The people do not want to listen to God. They don't want to be told a different way of living. This is what we're like naturally. Wise people don't just put themselves in the room with wisdom, they're actually putting themselves under wisdom. 
to obey it, to submit to it. And what happens when a wise man listens in this way? It's just like when you buy something valuable that steers you in the right direction. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. It's like you find that investment strategy that just makes your portfolio grow. And it's, I found it. Or this health plan that really sets you on a healthy course of life. Oh, I found it. It's, you get something that gives you something so much more than what you thought it would give you. A wise man will hear and increase in learning to him who had more was given. That's what happens to the wise. So it's true that you need godly character in God's world, but also you need to understand God's wisdom in order to succeed at life in God's world. And that's what this book offers. Are you humble enough to listen and to learn? That is what is required, is humility. There are many kinds of wisdom in the world that promote a certain vision of success in life. Probably see it on TV or uh, read it in newspapers, if you do that anymore, the magazine, our books. Some people would say, live life in the moment and enjoy all the pleasure you can to find satisfaction. Movies, see it in movies. Some people say to avoid all feelings so that you're not disappointed. There are major world religions that are built on these ideas. Some worldly wisdom promises fulfillment if you look out for your own needs and always seek your own happiness first. That'll set you straight. But only one kind of wisdom leads you in a path of success in God's world and in God's eyes. And it starts here in this schoolroom, in this book, under this tutor, and here's what he says. This is the argument of his book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom starts with God and your response to him. And in the time we have left, I want to draw attention, draw your attention to four things about the fear of the Lord. There are many more things that we could say. We could make a whole study of the fear of the Lord, and that's not my purpose this evening. But I want you to notice that the fear of the Lord, you could say, is a heart attitude. It is called fear. This is reverence. It's love. It's not cowering like you expect God to hit you. But it is sober because he's your father, and you respect him, and you love him, and you want to do what he says. And it is the fear of consequences? No, it's the fear of Yahweh. It indicates a right relationship to him from your heart. This is both faith in God that believes his word and love for God that trembles to sin. You see what he says and you say, yes, that's true. I'm going to live by it. And Lord, please help me not to contradict it. I love you. So that would certainly include obedience as you carry around God in your mind and your awareness of him. It's said of Job in chapter 1, verse 1 of that book. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. This was how he related to God.
That means you can't have knowledge apart from a right relationship to God. Do you know that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You don't fear God. You haven't even gone through the door of knowledge. Many people want to kind of segment God off from their study as though that's the, the key to objective thinking, clarity. But when we miss the context of any study of anything in God's creation, the context being God himself, the creator, that's pride. When God is not before our eyes, when we seek to understand his world, we don't gain any understanding. Actually, we lose it. Professing to be wise, Paul wrote, they became fools. It's, it's an attitude towards God of fear, love, honor, but it's also a way of life. The fear of Lord of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I was helped to see someone describe the fear of the Lord as both a door and a path. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the, the main thing, the principal part of knowledge, of understanding reality. If you fear God, you have the, the cornerstone of understanding the world around you and yourself. Wisdom, you might expect that word there. Wisdom is inseparable from this knowledge. You could think of somebody like the Wright brothers. They had a lot of skill, right, at getting themselves into the air and staying there. <laughs> but they had a lot of knowledge that lay behind that, right? I've, I was reading a book about the Wright brothers, and before they even ended up in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, they were researching all over the country to try to find a place where they're not going to kill themselves where they land. So they wanted to be on sand. They were trying to find a place that had the kind of wind speed that they needed. So they're writing to all of these, uh, these uh, the guys who would keep the, the weather records, trying to find the wind speed of their area. And they're just sending these letters all over the country. They had a lot of understanding of what they needed. And then they got a really wonderful invitation from, it's like the Postmaster General or something, of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And down they went. And the rest is history. They had a lot of knowledge of aerodynamics. Or a car mechanic. He has a lot of skill, but he has a lot of knowledge about the motor. He has to have knowledge in order to have skill, right? The wisdom, you could say, or a, the skill of a teacher who really understands and has knowledge of how children learn and develop and what motivates them. You would say, oh, that's a good teacher. What you mean is they're a really skilled teacher, but they have a lot of knowledge behind their skill. When you fear Yahweh, you are at the starting point. That is the main thing. That's the biggest rock. Another way the Bible describes fearing God is this way. Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. When you fear God, that is, that is the, the very education for wisdom. But you can't forget the first lesson once you're done, right? You keep practicing it. It's a door and a path. Yes, you come to the main thing, the entrance. It's a door that you walk through to begin being wise, but it's also the path that you walk on as you begin moving forward. Fearing God is a way of life. There is, I would say again, no room in biblical wisdom for pushing God out of any pursuit in your life. 
Maybe you'd say, or maybe you just live this way. I'll seek God when I have a big decision, but he can't have my money. I'll seek God when I really need protection, but he can't say anything about who I want to marry. No. Or God can have my friends, but he can't touch that part of my life. He can't have any say about how I treat my wife or my kids. No, fearing God touches every part of your life. It is a way of life. It's also a disposition in your heart. I know there's some overlap here in what I'm saying, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's an attitude and a relationship towards God. It's, it's a way of life, but it's also a disposition. And I want to draw special attention to humility, because I think by the reverse of the statement here, you learn something about wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I believe here fear is very much linked to humility. What would you say of someone who has no fear of the law? That's arrogance. That's arrogance. Someone who doesn't fear, fear his parents at all. That's pride. And to despise is to think little of or not give much thought to it at all. It's not even that you're opposing it and fighting it. It's just that you just don't care. And that too is pride. The rest of the verse I quoted before, the fear of the Lord is instruction for wisdom and honor comes before honor comes humility. Those who reject God and despise wisdom, they want the, the honor, truthfully, of calling their own shots. But the wise person knows that honor follows, not pride, but humility. That's why if there's any time that you see pride in your life, it's worth paying attention to and rooting out because pride kills and it blinds. So don't think that, oh yeah, there's, there's a little bit of pride there. I know you struggle with pride here. Don't think that it has no influence on the rest of your life. It does. It does. Proud people are foolish. To be wise, you must be humble. What does that mean? Well, it means... You might have to submit some value to the Lord because it contradicts his word. You might have to depend solely on the Lord instead of your money. You might have to depend solely on God's wisdom rather than your own intellect. You might have to seek help and accountability for a sin habit rather than trying to fight it on your own strength, failing repeatedly. These are ways that pride creeps in. We have to root it out. The fear of the Lord is a, is a disposition of humility. Lord, I need you. I cannot trust myself, but I can trust your word. Maybe in your personality, you're given to a lot of self-doubt. Maybe you're not. And I know in this room, there, there's quite a range. But we would do well with a lot more self-doubt when it comes to our self-confidence our confidence in our own ability to direct ourselves. Finally, the fear of the Lord is it's really a lifelong education. It's something from God. It's something not native to us. It's, it's alien 
you could say it's from another. Fools despise, despise wisdom that is God's wisdom and instruction, something that someone is trying to teach them. This is what a fool hates. It's what he ignores. Yes, it's wisdom from Solomon, but it's wisdom from God. And it's for all of life. It's for the young and the old. You have to be humble enough to take counsel other than your own. You can't only ever keep your own counsel if you're going to be wise. So do you? Do you consistently take the counsel of others and not even just others wiser than you, especially the word of God? And the test could be this. Do you submit to God's wisdom when it contradicts your current course of life? When you, when you look back over the course of your life, is it only a straight line? Or are there some times when you've repented and there have been some turns? So what Solomon's saying here in chapter 1, verse 7, is that if you do not fear God, you will not even begin to understand what is required to live in God's world. If you don't fear God, you won't even have the knowledge required to be successful in God's world. You might have knowledge of other things. You might even be good at a lot of other things, but you will not be good at this one most important thing, a life that's successful in God's eyes. What does it require? It requires humility like a little child who's willing to say, Daddy, help. What do we do? We really like teaching children and they need to learn. Oh, it's your water bottle and it's empty. You could pick it up. Okay. We need to learn not to be helpless, but spiritually without God, we are helpless and we need, and we would do well to remember it. Have you ever known a Christian who faced challenge after challenge in his life and just seemed to be able to navigate the heartache and the uncertainty and the changes of plan with just calmness that you couldn't explain and, and faith that never seemed to waver? That is a certain kind of godly wisdom. Have you ever known a Christian brother or sister who always seems to talk about their life and your life in terms of God's providence and sovereignty? And even when maybe they don't understand exactly what's going on in your life any more than you do, things just seem to make a lot more sense. There's a certain skill in that, and it's a skill of faith to know the ways of God and to account for the ways of God in your life. That's what wisdom does, biblical wisdom. And not only to account for them, but to submit to the ways of God and to say, if this is what God is doing, Lord, help me, help me follow. I don't think I would have expected that. There's wisdom in that. Knowing God and submitting to God is the door to true knowledge and the path to true wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's not the knowledge of the enter key on Google. The ability to type fast and process lots of information. No, this is knowledge leading to wisdom. Knowledge of God leading to wisdom in his world. It's true understanding to know God and to know him well. And it's true wisdom to fear him. And if I can say this, 
what we're talking about, what Solomon is talking about, this is actually what your whole life is about. So if you don't do this, it's not even like this is one option among others. You've just missed the boat entirely. This is exactly what God put you on planet Earth to do, is to have this kind of wisdom. And why do I say that with that strength? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14 says, the conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person is what the New American Standard says. Uh, this is the whole duty of man. Literally, it's this is the whole of man. There's not any predicate there. It's just this is the entirety of mankind. This is what it means to be human is to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is the instruction manual. And maybe you're not given to instructions. And that's okay. Good for you. Because <laughs> I am. I have to read them. This is God's instruction manual for your life. And if you never open it, and you're here today, so you have opened it. If you never read it, you're going to end up with something different than what God intended. And that's going to be to your eternal sorrow. But how do we do this? How can we do this? Maybe this sounds big and too much. I don't, I don't mean to heap a heavy burden on any of us. I think in light of the whole Bible, you could say, look to the wisest man. Look to the humblest man. Follow the one who did fear God. Someone showed us what it's like. Pattern your life after the one who did obey God in all things, who definitely didn't miss the boat. He found out exactly what it was to be human, and he did it to the fullest. What did it look like? It looked like Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. And then look to the cross. Cast down your pride. Humble yourself as a little child and come to Christ for wisdom. Come to Christ for salvation. That's what you need to do. Really, I believe there's a lot of encouragement for us here tonight. Anyone who wishes may be wise, but you must fear the Lord. You must humble yourself. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3 says. Come to Christ for wisdom. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.24. Through the foolishness of the cross of Christ, God has made fools of all the world's wisdom and brought many men to himself. God knows wisdom. Will you humble yourself to receive the wisdom of God's word for your life? It will lead you in the way of godliness. Indeed, it will lead you in the way of Christ. May God help us to have his wisdom and to fear him from our hearts. Let's pray. God, you are such a good God. And by any fair evaluation, we are, we are shameful, foolish children. But Lord, you're such a good father that not only do you rescue us and uh, you're patient with us, you show us exactly what we need to grow and your instructions are really good and really effective. And when we follow them, we can look back over our lives and say, wow, look at how much change has come in my life. And that's no credit to us. That's a credit to you. 
and how good of a father you are. Help us as wise, honorable, good, loving children. Help us to fear you. And Lord, if there are any here or online who aren't your children, I pray that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ today. Lord, we thank you that you do give us the wisdom we need for life. Help us to heed it, even when things get difficult and we are tempted to rely on our own wisdom. Help us to refuse that and to live by faith in your words. We pray it in Christ.